Check this out. Anybody wondering why I'm holding a roll of toilet paper? So for 21 years as a pastor, I was called in to reach an unreached people group called the business world. Anybody in the business world? Yeah. And uh, so I was working for a company that sold janitorial service. And my job half of the day was to walk into 10 corporate offices holding a roll of toilet paper, walk in and say, good morning, I have a gift for you. And throw them a roll of toilet paper and then give them a compliment about their business like, wow, I really appreciate what y'all are doing for Northwest Arkansas here at Tyson Foods. Or, wow, this is a, this is a great building. I really like what you guys are doing here. Crack a couple jokes. And then I would say, who makes the decision regarding the cleaning of this building? Okay. In order to meet with the decision maker and sit down and discuss the cleanliness or uncleanliness of their building. Okay. Over the course of a year and a half, I walked into 1500 business offices. I wish they had Fitbits back then. Cause man, I, I scored some miles. Okay, so I walk in and God blessed me. Fortunately, I made a, made a few sales over the course of a year and a half, but I was told no in mostly a kind way over 1,400 times. I was rejected, told no. You ever struggled with rejection? Growing up, were you not accepted into the friend group that you wanted to be in? Or maybe in your profession right now, you're not getting the respect or the promotion that you wanted or maybe at home your spouse isn't meeting your needs. Or maybe you struggle with rejecting others. I struggle rejecting my wife's opinion regarding my wardrobe. Okay? So, I do not like the fact that she probably has better taste than me in wardrobe. Okay? So, we're out shopping one day. Or I say we. I was dutifully following my wife around as she was shopping Okay, we walk into this shoe store and I'm following her around and she holds up these shoes and she says, hey babe, I want you to try these on. And I said, no, those are the ugliest shoes that I've ever seen in my life and they look really uncomfortable. She said, no, seriously, I want you to try them on. I said, no, seriously, I don't want to try them on. And so she goes, well, I'm just going to put them right here. So if you're walking back through, you might want to, you know, try them on. It's like, it's not going to happen. So I'm following her around again. I have to use the restroom. I come out of the restroom. She is on the other side of the store. And I walk, I'm walking past these shoes and I look at them. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to put these shoes on to prove her wrong. Right? So I put the shoes on and to my disdain, I walked around and they were the most comfortable shoes I've ever put on in my life. And I looked down and I actually looked at a man that was walking around. He had some on as well. I'm like, these actually look pretty cool. So unfortunately, men, I had to walk up and tell my wife the two words that most men never want to utter to their wives is, you're right, honey. So we bought the shoes and I ended up wearing them for a couple years and two or three more years after that. But in terms of my wardrobe, most of you know, sometimes I wear the same clothes for years, possibly decades. So Anybody, any help I can get would be encouraged as well. So, so far in Epiphany, we've looked at three things, two things so far. We've looked at the baptism of Christ. Then we looked at last week, we looked at the temptation of Christ. This week we'll be diving into the rejection of Christ. Of course, Jesus was rejected. He went to the cross by people that hated him. 
the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Messiah. Have you ever been rejected? Jesus can definitely relate. As we begin this morning, we're going to look at the fact that the identity and mission of Christ demand a response. Either we receive it or we reject it. So let's turn to Luke chapter four, verse 14. And we're gonna pick up the story after Jesus was in the desert for 40 years being tempted. Okay, what's, what's happening next? What's he gonna do next? So it says in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as it was his custom. He stood up to read the scriptures. Jesus initially was a popular teacher. So when he went back to his hometown, it was natural for him to teach in the synagogues. It was custom in the synagogue for the man to stand while he was reading the scriptures, but then to sit when he would explain them, the portion that he had read. So let's pick it up in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recover sight for the blind to the, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he reads part of Isaiah, which is a prophecy of what the Messiah is going to do. Then it says in verse 20, so he sits down. Remember, he stands up to read, sits down to explain the passage. So then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Imagine the scene. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him because he's about to teach. He began this by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your, in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But they said, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Wait a second. So after he reads the Messiah, what the Messiah is going to do, he says that I am the one that's going to fulfill this prophecy. To which they replied, what? You? Aren't you Joseph the carpenter's son who grew up in this town? Their version of the Messiah was a strong supreme ruler that would come and set them free from Roman rule. They totally missed it. So let's look at what Jesus said he was going to do as the coming Messiah. This is his mission. It's a three-part mission. Preaching the gospel, the good news. Healing people of spiritual and physical wounds. Freeing, teaching others how they could be free from the bonds of sin and addiction through faith, faith in Christ. So preaching, healing, and freeing is really the theme of Christ's mission throughout the book of Luke. We see Jesus doing this in Luke chapter five and eight. He's preaching, he's healing, he's freeing. Then he gathers 12 disciples and sends them out and tells them to preach, heal, and free. Then he gathers 72 disciples, okay? He's gathering a crowd. And you know what he tells them to do? Preach, heal, and free. This is his mission. How have you responded to the mission of Christ in your life? 
what would preaching, healing, and freeing others in Jesus' name look like for you personally? Maybe you're called to lead a class in our one-to-one ministry, which is our ministry for special needs. Maybe you lead a cell group of seventh grade boys. Talk about unreached people group. Maybe he's calling you to lead a re-engaged small group. Leading your children in prayer tonight or serving at Samaritan House. Two young families have received the mission of Christ here in Springdale here recently. Caleb and Carissa Freeman and Kyle and Meredith Jackson are venturing out and starting new, two new Springdale community groups this spring. Isn't that exciting? We should celebrate that. Yes, thank you, Wendy. So two brand new, so we go, went from 35 community groups to 37, Micah. Isn't that awesome? So we're celebrating that this morning. To be honest, I've always struggled with the mission of Christ in my life. I kind of know it's something I'm supposed to do because I initially don't want to do it. So when I was in college at, at JBU, my dream was to live in Dallas, own my own business, and drive a red Porsche convertible, okay? Three goals, I'm going for it. And then something happened to me. I met a man named Robert Cup. He was my professor at John Brown. And the old big church was this room, and I sat right here next to Robert every Sunday for two years. God, through him, changed my life. And so, but I didn't want to be a youth pastor, but God started working on my heart. And then I was blessed to do it for 10 years. And then God put it on my heart to start a young adults ministry here in Northwest Arkansas. I did not want to do that either. I was comfortable working with students here. It was fun. I was working with Sam every day. Man, I'm supposed to call, venture out. So ventured out, started a young adults ministry. Did not want to do it at first, but was blessed. I met my beautiful wife, Kiplin, through that ministry. Did that for eight years. Definitely did not want to plant a church. Are you kidding me? I don't have the gifts to be a directional leader. I don't have the teaching gifts to, to get up there every Sunday. How am I going to plant a church, God? And started, he, God started surrounding with me with other people that encouraged me to do it. Chick, Chip Jackson called me out, our Mosaic pastor, said, Horn, you're the guy to do it. Got some training down in Little Rock, and Kiplin and I and Cooper ventured out to Colorado and loved it for three years. Then he called us back here to the business world. Y'all heard that story. That was fun. And then never thought I would be a community pastor. Now I'm absolutely loving my job. Every day I get to wake up and meet with wonderful people like you and meet new people and get them plugged in. But at first, oh, it's always uncomfortable. Rarely do I want to do it. So most of you know that I'm also passionate about men's ministry. And of course, I'm passionate and excited that Beth is leading our women's ministry. So our men's ministry, little plug, like Sam said, Friday morning, Bob, we'll see you there, 6.30, okay? And it's gonna be awesome, six weeks of learning about our journey in Christ and how we can main, remain and, and abide with him. So one of the parts of my ministry that I like to do is just freelance. I'll call wives, I'll call one of your husbands and say, hey, you wanna hang out Friday night at eight o'clock? And what I tell the husbands to do, Chuck, is this. Make, living, you make sure he does this. When I asked him, say, hey, go home at five, ask your wife, hey, is there anything I can do to help you with dinner? Okay, Sarah, you like that when Alex says that, don't you? 
and then help her with dinner and then put the dishes away, help the kids get down, help them do their homework, vacuum the house, take out the trash, Chad. And then afterwards, hey, I'm going out with Horn for a couple of hours. Is that cool? We're gonna eat chicken wings. So one night brought two of my best friends down to Fayetteville. We have some chicken wings and we noticed in the bar area that there was a man that was struggling. It looked like he might get into, some, into a fight. So we're watching him, make sure everybody's okay. So we leave, get in the car, we're driving home in the parking lot. We look and sure enough, this guy's in a, in a fight with like three or four other guys. And so we stop the car and we actually get out. And uh, so this is just kind of what guys do. We get out and we're basically going to watch a fight, okay? And as we get out of the car, my cousin looks at me and says, hey, Derek, why don't we go minister to him? That was not my first thought. Go minister to this guy. Oh, man, I don't want to. My flesh, it fights against us. We don't want to naturally minister to people. But he stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, he's right. So by the time we got over there, everybody had gone except this one man. And he was sitting on the curb. And he, didn't, he didn't look very well. But he's a good-looking guy. had a suit on, well-to-do. And I walked up and I said, excuse me, sir, my name is Derek Horn. He looked up, up at me and I'm going to paraphrase here. And he said, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't in good shape. And he looked at me and he said, are you going to beat me up? And I said, no, I'm not going to beat you up. I said, hey, this is, my, this is my cousin Troy. This is my friend Jason. He goes, are they going to beat me up? And I said, we're, we're not going to beat you up. And we sat down. I put my arm around him and said, hey, man, how's it going? He said, not good. He said, I don't know where my phone is. I don't know where my car is. And he was, he was struggling. He'd been in, let's just say he'd been in the bar too long. And so I said, hey, how are you going to get home? He goes, I don't know. I said, how about we give you a ride home? No, 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 no. I'm, I said, where's your car? I don't know. Where's your friends? I don't know. I said, let us give you a ride home. So we gave him a ride home. And Jason, Troy, and I began to share with him about the love of Christ and how God has a plan for his life. And Jason said, hey, do you want to get saved? He said, yes. We prayed in my car for this guy to get saved and he prayed to receive Christ. So, but my first initial reaction, I don't, my flesh does not want to minister to folks. So how have you responded to his mission in your life? One of my favorite persons in the world is Kathy Rush. She has mentored and discipled hundreds of women here at Fellowship and in Northwest Arkansas for the past 25 years. And her ministry is very unique because even though she's ministered to the hundreds, which have probably ministered to thousands, she doesn't do this right here. She meets with women one-on-one -on -one and walks them through life. So she's going to share her story this morning. I'm the most unlikely person that would be doing any kind of a mission. When I think about Matthew 28 and it says, go ye therefore and, you know, make disciples of all nations, it's just overwhelming to me. And I think, okay, I'll support missionaries and pray for them and whatever. But, but then when I read 1 Peter 3 and it says to give account of the hope within you, I thought, wow, that's just telling my story. That could be powerful because other people might relate to it. I started out with a lot of baggage and I, I had five brothers and I had three sons. I, I didn't know how to 
relate really to sisters or daughters or anything. And we ended up at fellowship. And the youth pastor at the time asked me to work with girls. And I'm thinking, no way, I don't know what to do with girls. Believe me, I do not know what you don't want me to work with girls. And he said, yeah, but Kathy, I know your heart. That just changed my life. If I could be a person in in someone's life that would tell them who they are in Christ and encourage them that it's going to be okay and I'm here for you and I want to pray for you and I want to encourage you. Maybe I could do that with one girl. That would really kind of redeem my story. It was just amazing. I got so excited about it. I started with when Fellowship first had the cell groups in homes and we met in our home and then came this punk youth pastor and he says to me, well, I think you should disciple girls one-on-one. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what does he know? He's just a young pastor. I don't do that. I I don't have time for that. I'm not equipped for that. And God, he's wanting me to do this thing. And I went to sleep that night and I woke up and I had two girls' faces. And I thought, okay, this must be from you, God. I'll go and ask them if they want to meet with me. They did and they said, yes. I couldn't believe it. I was so surprised. Well, we started the one-on-one discipleship. It was just amazing knowing that this was part of my purpose for my life. It was just a beautiful thing. I was I was really excited about it. It just grew and grew and I meet with women and I meet with young women and older women and now I've got all these sisters and daughters in the Lord and it's just a a beautiful a beautiful thing so if I can do this anybody can do it I just want to encourage anybody out there who thinks there's nothing I can do if you have a story there's something you can do Thanks, Kathy. Love you. You're awesome. Hey, let's pick up the story. Now, after Jesus's mission was rejected, let's look at his identity. Let's pick it up in verse 25, where Jesus says, he tells this story that had happened before. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, And there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. What's going on here? Why did Jesus share this story? Jesus was sensing their opposition and unbelief in him. Isn't this Joseph's son? This can't be the Messiah. He reminded them of a story in which God's prophets ministered miraculous acts of grace to Gentiles while Israel was in unbelief. Their ancestors were in unbelief. His purpose was to reveal the darkness in the hearts of the people. Here is their response. How do you think they responded to his message? All of the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. So much for the hometown hero. 
but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So in the beginning, they were excited to receive the promises of his blessing, but none of them wanted to hear the truth about the darkness in their own hearts. It is easy to accept Jesus on a superficial level. We hear that God loves us and that Jesus cares for all our needs and that he wants to heal us, and that's true. So we welcome him into our lives. But at some point early on, we begin to get a bit uncomfortable as we realize that Jesus' teaching confronts our pride and self-righteousness. Rather than building up our self-esteem, Jesus begins shining the light of his holiness into the dark, hidden closets of our soul. We begin to see that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, as it says in Romans seven eighteen. At this point, we have a crucial decision to make. We can dodge the hard truths of the Bible, either by throwing out the whole thing, or God's way is that we face the truth about ourselves and submit to Christ as Lord. How have you responded to his identity? So I'm at the gym on Friday. I asked this man, hey, what do you do? He shares with me what, what he does. He says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, I don't know about this Jesus guy. He goes, but I'm really into energy. I'm like, okay. So I listened to him what he has to share about energy. You know, and he did have a lot of energy. So I began to share with him. I said, hey, did you know that it's a historical fact that Jesus lived here on earth? Yeah, I knew about that. Hey, did you know it's also a historical fact that he died on the cross? All the writings of the day that were non-religious writings, like the, the newspaper of the day, all the artifacts, all the paintings verify that Jesus died on the cross. He said, yeah, I think I knew about that. I said, well, did you know that it's also a, f a fact that Christianity would be dead if he didn't rise from the dead, that Jesus is alive today. And he's, he said, man, I didn't know about that. By that time, he's like, hey, man, I'm on to my next set. Next set. Take care, dude. It's like, hey, take care. See you on Monday. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I am, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the vine. Jesus says, I and the Father are one, claiming to be equal with God. Or maybe even better said, who do you say that Jesus is? So in Luke 9, he says in verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private with his disciples, were with him, and he asked them, hey, who do the crowds say that I am? What's the word on the streets? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others, that one of the prophets long ago came back to life. And then he asked him a personal question. Who do you, who do you say that I am? What, what do you say? Peter answered, the Christ of God. And then after that, he goes on to say, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're all we got. All our eggs are in your basket. 
You're all we got, Jesus. So I ask you that personal question. What do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? The identity and mission of Christ demand a response. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus, when he first met the disciples, he said two things. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. His calling to them was always twofold. Identity and mission. How have you responded to the identity of Christ? Have you given him the Heisman, stiff arm, turn the other way and act like the mission of Christ doesn't exist? Do we say, well, hopefully somebody else will minister to the kids on Sunday morning or somebody else will go to a Samaritan house. Surely there's people that'll help the homeless or, or lead a community. Surely there's other people for that because you know, it's, it's not my gift. Or do we lock arms with Jesus and other brothers and sisters in Springdale and figure out how to make it happen? How do we make a difference to share God's love with other people in this area and throughout the world? How have you responded to the identity of Christ? Do you want to throw him off a cliff for his claims of um, being equal with God? Maybe give him a little side hug, fist bump. Or do we bow down in humble worship and seek to intimately walk with him day by day, moment by moment? If you have never acknowledged him as Savior, please come and see myself or one of the greeters or one of our pastors after the service. 